Good morning. If you would, if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 35. We left off last week, and we will be hopefully finishing up the chapter today, if at all possible. Um, it's already been a full and rich weekend uh, for most of us. Those ladies in the church spent a lot of time together yesterday, and um, I want to encourage the other women in our church who weren't able to come this year. It's an annual thing. You, sh- you should take a day, and you should be encouraged. You should meet with the other women in the church, love on one another, and encourage one another. It's, it's a good thing. It's also a grand opportunity for dads to step up and do something with their kids for a day. It's a beautiful thing, and you should do that too, dads. I heard a lot of great stories of things that were going on around, and that, that's a good thing. That's a worthy investment, so I want to encourage you in that. Um, when I was a boy growing up playing competitive sports, there was one fear that I had above all other fears, and that was to play a team that had a girl on it. It happened one time to me in, in high school, playing soccer, and the young lady was playing the same position I was, so we were going to compete. That is a no-win situation for me. If I hurt the girl, I'm a schmuck. If I get beat by the girl, I'm a schmuck. Either way it goes, I'm a schmuck. I hated that. I, it was the worst feeling in my life. Well, the word on the street from yesterday is that I'm not the only preacher in my home. And uh, yesterday, my beautiful bride, from what I hear, uh, brought it pretty strong. And uh, um, let me, let me just assure you, um, while you might have been surprised, I was not. She lives it out daily. This is the most beautiful, passionate, and godly woman I know. And we are not in competition today. We lock arms together to preach the same gospel to you. So with that said, we should pray. Lord Jesus, we pray today that you would be honored and glorified in our hearts and in our minds, that your spirit would have its way, that we would decrease and that you would increase, that we might exalt you above all things as rightly so. Will you help today the truth of the gospel take root in our hearts in a way that brings us great joy and a sure hope of the future? so that we would not waver, that we would be steadfast and movable and abounding in the work of the Lord. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in 1 Corinthians 15 for a couple weeks now, about three. This will be our third week. And um, we've learned some things. The first thing, and the, the overarching theme of 1 Corinthians 15, is the gospel. And that the gospel has particular content. Paul starts the chapter and says, this is what I preach to you of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that on the third day 
He rose again according to the scriptures. This is of first importance. This is the only thing that is vitally important for the Corinthian church and for you and I today. That's it. That is the gospel. And for the fullness and joy of our salvation to take root and to really flourish, we have to understand that that gospel culminates in a beautiful bodily resurrection. And today we want to focus on that good news and the hope that it brings to us. You see, the hope of heaven, the hope of resurrection has to impact our lives. It has to change us because of one fact. The end of the last passage that we looked at in verse 34 in chapter 15, Paul tells us there are some who have no knowledge of God. It has to radically change us. And it has to be our hope. And so with that, with the assumption that the Corinthians were running off of a disbelief, not understanding, not really believing in the resurrection, Paul anticipates a question. He knows it's coming. So let's look, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they have? There's always a skeptic in the crowd. There's always somebody asking, right, Paul, but how does that work? Seriously, have you seen what happens when you dig up a body? How is that going to be raised? What is that going to look like? This is not a legitimate question from belief. The, the Corinthians are working from the assumption that the resurrection can't be true. This is an argument from impossibility. And you and I are duped every single day with the same temptation to doubt. Because we can't explain it, it must not be true. Just because you can't explain it, do you see the foolishness of that? Do you see why Paul goes, you, what? You're not God. You will never know all things perfectly till one day, but not now. And it was foolish. It was absolutely foolish, Paul says. It's not how it works that is important. It's what will happen, what has been written, and who will bring it about. Those are the important questions. What will happen and who will bring it about? Not how it all works. 
So Paul takes this common life experience as an example of the resurrection of the body. You and I, you remember first grade, you know you do. You took the little paper towel, you put water on it, you put the lima bean in there, what happened? Huh? Nate's doing it right now. He he's gets it. Okay, so you're putting that in there. You stick it in the dirt after it sprouts. What happens? It takes root. And then what happens? The plant grows, pops out for all of God's glory out of the soil. If you take a seed that's very small and you plant it in the ground, just happened in my backyard, threw a bunch of seed down, Winter rye is a beautiful thing. It doesn't last, but it looks gorgeous when it first comes up. And it all, all of a sudden, it was like, in two days. We got a bunch of rain in two days. Boom. The boys are looking out of the backyard. Dad, we've got a meadow. It was beautiful. Well, what had to happen? That seed had to go into the ground. The husk had to wither. It had to die. And then it, new life sprung out of that and a plant emerges from the brokenness there's a production of new life from dust and decay comes regeneration it's a beautiful thing it's a gorgeous thing it's a gospel thing unbelievable Paul's illustration is challenging us about our wrong understandings of the resurrection. It's not simple resuscitation. That's not it. That was the block for the Corinthian church. And it's the block for most of us today who claim to know Christ but have no understanding. Can't quite grab this concept effectively. How can a decomposed, burnt, and disfigured body be resurrected? And Paul, throughout chapter 15, wants the Corinthians and you and I to understand that the gospel brings life from death. There is going to be a change. There is going to be a bodily resurrection. Most of us would agree with the Apostles' Creed when it states, I believe in the resurrection of the body. What do you believe about the resurrection of the body? So you're sitting at dinner tonight and your son or daughter asks you, Daddy, what is the resurrection of the body? And how does that work? What do you say? Do you pack them in the car and bring them over to my house? No. That's not what you do. You shepherd your home well. And you read 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58. And you answer that young man or young woman. It's not about how. It's about what And who will bring it about? So what do you believe? What is Paul trying to teach us through this illustration? He is teaching us that when you bury a body in the ground, 
It will rise again one day with some continuity, but also radically transformed. You see, when you plant a seed in the ground, it doesn't rise again as a seed. What does it do? It dies and withers and new life springs forth from it. Now, a wheat seed is not going to produce some other kind of plant. There is continuity, but it is transformed. We get this. When you look at Luke 24 and you read about Jesus being raised from the dead and coming to meet with the disciples, it's one of my favorite stories. It's hilarious. Um, because they're, they're hanging out together and uh, John, in John chapter 20, he, he says that the door was locked. So they're kind of scared of what's going on. They're kind of freaked out about what they've had to or de- been, been engaged with for, for the last few weeks. But all of a sudden, what happens? Jesus appears to them. Okay, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a room with a locked door and somebody shows up without opening the door, kind of freaky. Okay, his first words, what are they? Peace be with you. <laughs> why, why did he say that? Peace be with you. You can, I don't know. I think they were pretty scared, pretty bewildered. What is this? But the beautiful thing is, although Christ was transformed, he was still the likeness of Christ. They could still see who he was. He still had the nail scars in his hands. He still was hungry and wanted some fish. Continuity, but also being transformed. This is what Paul is trying to get through to us today. As they were... Well, that was not, sorry. 1 Corinthians 15, 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind of humans, another for animals and another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars and the stars differ from star in glory. Just like the plant rising from the dead, God will give you a new transformed body. You know, looking in the mirror and thinking about this, this is good news. This is really good news. This is amazing. Would you want to go through the rest of eternity with your body that you have right now? Would you really want a body that was riddled with the effects of sin, disease, death? What about those who agonize in endless pain? This second paragraph of our text, Paul's establishing a different point. Yes, we will be changed. And he moves on to the reality of there are different types of physicality. 
created by God for their different environments. You see, God, when he created the world in Genesis 1, he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees and the plants and the animals. And the climax of his creation, a human being created in his own image. All created perfectly to bring God glory in their specific environment. The environment that he chose for them. There is going to be a bodily resurrection and you're going to be given a body built properly for your eternal environment. Just as he has given different bodies in the natural world for different environments. Just as he has given you a body for your earthly environment, a different body to the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, he will give us a new body that will be built for our new life with him that we might bring him continuous glory. Here's the beauty of the gospel. As with Jesus' resurrection, this will not be a strange distortion of who you are, your original humanity, but will be the very thing we were made for in the first place. The same thing that he made Adam and Eve for, to continuously bring him glory. Verse 42 and 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. When I read this passage... There is one name and one face that comes to mind. And it is this sweet girl, and her name is Mallory. She's the daughter of one of my best friends in the world. And one of the most beautiful and courageous and godly young women I have ever known. Yet as she battled a plastic anemia and lived at St. Jude Hospital for the last year or so of her life. It was debilitating and it was humiliating for her. When this awful disease took her ability to leave the hospital, took all her energy, her hair, and her ability to breathe on her own and finally her life, her body was sown in dishonor. Broken Riddled with the effects of sin and pain. But I want to tell you, when I stood next to her casket, I had one thing I clung to. One hope and one promise. Although her body was sown in dishonor, one day she will be raised in glory. And though her body was sown in weakness, it will be raised in power. Mallory's natural body was sown and it will be raised a spiritual body. The perishable will die and disintegrate, but only to give rise to that which is imperishable. 
And why am I so sure of that? Because it is written, the first Adam became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and the man of dust and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I am so sure of this because it is written. Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Why is that? Because God designed the first Adam in Genesis 1 to be the representative head of the human race. Therefore, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam died, we all died. We were all born into that death, facing the consequences of our sin. Adam was our representative in the garden. And Paul wants the Corinthians and you and I to understand that Jesus is our representative in heaven and from heaven. That those who put their trust in him, he represents them. Every human being is going to stand before God in judgment. Represented by one of two people. First Adam or the second. But if you stand before God represented by Adam, then you are condemned by your sin. And you are sentenced to death and eternal punishment. But If you are represented by Jesus before God, having placed your faith in his work alone, as Mallory did, his sinless life, his atoning sacrifice, the power of his resurrection will be applied to you. It is finished. You have been forgiven. And verse 49 tells us that Christ will remake us in His image. The overall point of the chapter is that in the resurrection of Jesus himself, the power of the creator God was at work to bring about restoration. A redemption and a restoration of of the world, and that through the work of the Spirit, this same Creator God will give new, glorious, deathless body life to you when He returns. This is the hope of the gospel. This is something that we don't just simply desire. Many of you, when you think about hope, you hope for a brighter future. You hope for better weather. You hope for something that you desire, a higher paycheck. 
but you really don't have any control whether or not that's coming or not. This is a done deal. It is finished. We hope for a sure resurrection, not for one that we just hope might come about. This is our hope. This is our future. And that's why Paul would write in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must be put must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up victor in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Not how. But what and by whom? You will be resurrected by God, by the power of God. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other way but through the victory that Christ has bought for you. And as Paul exalts Christ's victory over death, he is reminded that this victory is the final one over sin and the death it brought with it. In the next couple of verses, he writes, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin. Adam and Eve's sin brought death. Your sin brings death. power of sin is the law. What does that mean? For the law is good. It's the moral will of God. But as it engages our sinful nature, it usually leads us to two places. One of pride and religious achievement, thinking that we can be good enough to save ourselves, or the other, the law convicts us and reveals the depth of our depravity and rebellion against God. In either case, it deals death and not life. 
Paul's point is that death and decay are not a result of simple human processes. They are the result of a deadly poison. Sin. You have a cancerous issue. And there is no way you can save yourself from it. But. But thanks be to God. Because Jesus has conquered death and sin through his death. He paid our penalty for our breaking of the law. He fulfilled the law and consequently gave us the victory over death. So here's the question to you today. What are you trusting in? Your goodness? Your ability to live by the law? Or the finished work of Christ? Who died for your sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. What are you trusting in? What's the surety of your hope for heaven, for the defeat of death? What are you trusting in? My prayer today is that you will grab a hold of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 and you will hold it tight and you will cling to it when you stand next to a casket, when you suffer, when your body breaks down and begins to die. What will be the surety of your hope? The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. That he conquered death for you. That if you will put your trust and faith in him and him alone, you will be raised one day. With a body and a life that is imperishable that is no longer riddled with the effects of sin, but is in the image of the one who bore your sin. It's an amazing hope. Paul finishes the passage in verse 58 with this. He says, Therefore, therefore, because of the hope that you have, in view of this amazing gospel, in view of the fact that you are going to rec- you're going to receive a new body one day, one that is, has continuity of who you are, but one that has been radically transformed into the incorruptible likeness of Christ. In view of that, in view of the surety of your blessed hope for a future, the resurrection should affect the way you live. It should affect who you are now. And next week, we're going to spend a lot of time in this one verse. 23 verses today, one next week. But listen, this letter was not written 
to missionaries, to, um, to pastors, uh, to seminary students. This was written to the church at Corinth. The body made up of all of her beautiful gifts that God has given. This was written to her. All one body, many gifts, many roles. This is not for, it's not like this high calling here for just a few. This is your calling. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker. I don't care who you are. This is your calling. This is your future. This is your hope. And it should affect the way you walk out this door and engage people at your work. It should affect the way that you live in your neighborhood. It should affect the way that you treat your husband and your wife and your children. It should affect everything. And Paul calls the church, men, women, and children, be steadfast, immovable. Has the idea of permanence in the wake of some force against it. Every single day, you and I encounter things in this world that beat the hope right out of us because our eyes get affixed to this, to the suffering and to the pain and to the hurt. Paul says, the gospel it will keep you steadfast, immovable. And then he turns and he says, and abound, and abounding in the work of the Lord. Your job, I don't care what you do, is the work of the Lord. He has created you the way he's created you to be in the environment you're in to bring the glory of the Lord to people, verse 34, who do not know God and have no knowledge of him. Steadfast, immovable. You want to persevere and through life, hold, cling to the gospel. It is all you have. It is all I have. It's all any of us have. And know this. None of it is in vain. None of the struggle, none of the work, none of the hardship, none of it is in vain. Why is that? Because there is a hope of a resurrection for the imperishable to be put on and for eternity People just come around God and worship and glorify him the way they were created to do in the first place. None of it is wasted. None of it. It is not in vain. It is for God's glory. And the worship of him from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And that includes the people across your street the people on the other side of Wake Forest to the people in China. And that's the reason every week we're seeing people stand before us and say, we're going. 
What about you? Where are you going when you walk out that door? Are you going next door? Around the block? To the gas station? To the restaurant? Where are you going? For the hope and glory of the resurrection. The good news that Christ did what? He came. He lived a sinless life. He died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He is the prototype of our resurrection. The first of many brothers. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please, please, please allow the chaff of doubt and unbelief to fall from us that we might cling to your gospel, that we might be in love with you and the hope that you bring to us. Make us steadfast, immovable, abounding in your work. Help us for the hope of the resurrection be the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sting of death is sin. Power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Right? So how do we respond to what we've just read and what we've just heard? I think we thank God. I think we celebrate. Amen? So I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing a song. This is a...